Hi, and welcome to Only the Avatar. I'm Christina. And I'm Veda, and you're listening to an Avatar Rewatch podcast. Welcome, episode 12, The Storm. But before we get started, Christina, how was your week? It's been pretty good. Um, I found out I don't have coronavirus because I got tested last week. So that was fun. I was able to leave my apartment because I didn't want to like get tested and then like do a bunch of stuff. So I actually left a little bit earlier today. How has your week been? It's been so hot. Like I was thinking like, do you like summer? Are you a summer person? Okay. So I used to be really into the summer. I used to hate the cold. Like I literally went to school in the South thinking like, I don't want to be in the cold. But after I went to the Philippines one year, it was so hot and there's no air conditioning. I totally switched after that. Like I totally made a switch and became a winter, fall, spring, then summer girl. Like I'm more into winter. I love Christmas, things like that. So what about you? I think the issue is, is that we tie summer to having no school. And it's still, I mean, years later after being out of school, I think it's hard to get out of the academic year. And for me, I feel like I'm not a summer person. I I hate being hot, but I can't (laughs) dislike it because like it, I tie it to freedom, right? Like I tie it to being out of school, but I'm like, we're not free. We're still working. (laughs) Still working. So I saw that Barbados tourism is like, come to our country and work from here. And I'm like, wow, it's like so much harder to do work though when it's like nice outside. So that's the one also problem with the summer. It's like, it's so nice outside. Like, I don't want to be inside doing my work. I'd rather go outside. So it's a little harder to concentrate. But I think in general, when it's like the middle of any season, like I get over it and want the opposite. So like, Right now, it's the middle of the summer. It's so hot. I want the winter. I want it to be colder. But in January and February, I'm like, oh, I wish it would get a little warmer, you know? So it's- I'm the same way. But I've been watching a ton of movies like during my quarantine time. And I just wanted to shout out one in particular because it kind of ties to the themes of this episode. It's oh. called The Florida Project. Have you seen it? I haven't. Um, and it's it also like ties to stuff that's going on right now because it's about like people living on the outskirts of Disneyland and this uh, one apartment complex and the stories that take place there. But the reason I was thinking about it while rewatching Avatar was because so much of it is about childhood trauma and how kids deal with it that they see this bad thing happening to them or you know these like disruptions into their daily lives or like domineering adults or people abandoning them that they love and like how does a child make sense with that and continue on their day so like there's so many of those themes in this episode so um if you're interested in like some of the psychology that's been coming up for our characters i would totally recommend watching the florida project it's also on netflix all right cool yeah i'll definitely check it out i mean on another very opposite note so I'll start off by saying that I'm really into 90 Day Fiance. So I've been watching on YouTube this guy called like Psychology in Seattle, and he breaks down each character (laughs) in the show and is like, this person probably had this kind of trauma based on what he's saying now. Like, and a lot of, yeah. So it like relates back to people's like earlier childhood and their schemas. And I found it really fascinating. In particular, one character moved with her mother from the Czech Republic when she was young to America and he explains how that trauma could lead to certain attachment styles and love Mm -hmm. and that's why she's acting a certain way um, in her current relationship 
portrayed on the show. So very, it's not, it's not high quality TV, but if you're into 90 Day Fiance and learning about that stuff, psychology in Seattle. So. Cool. I love, I love, you know me, I love analyzing all TV shows, whether it's a reality TV show or something academic or a cartoon. But yeah. this episode shows two pivotal moments in Aang's life and uh, Zuko's life. It's cool because we're like back to that dynamic. We, I know we had a few episodes where we were going back and forth between Zuko and Aang's perspective. And the mm-hmm. past three episodes have just been almost filler, I hate to say that, or focusing on other characters. So I'm happy to get back into that pattern, that mirroring energy between these two characters. So And it ties them together and we're brought back to that... Um, like what's joining these characters together. And I think yeah. there's some interesting questions that are brought up too, like how is the past, you know, impacting our main characters? And we've had a lot of discussion about how their present war is impacting them. But, you know, for these characters, even their home lives and their past is impacting them. And I think there's sort of these larger questions here of like living in the present for both Zuko and Aang. And I think that's like yeah. a larger theme that's coming up. Yeah, so this episode reveals how Aang was trapped in the iceberg, where he was initially found in the first episode called The Boy in the Iceberg. And this is the episode that reveals how Zuko got his scar and why he was banished from the Fire Nation. So we're like answering a lot of questions that um, a new viewer would have from the earlier episodes. Because I remember thinking like, okay, why was he in an iceberg in the first place? Well, the scar is so predominant in Zuko's character. It's such a big part of him. Like, how did Mm -hmm. he get that scar? We also know that this episode explores like just the emotional stress that is placed on the Avatar. Um, And this is serving as the first of many episodes that has Aang actually reluctantly confronting his duty as an avatar. We've seen that a little bit in other episodes, but he's attacking like, I did not want to be the avatar. This is why, and this is what happened. And we kind of see that right at the opening of the episode because he's, we open in Aang's anxiety dream. Like he's having a total anxiety dream, right? Like there's, uh, he sees Gyatsu and there's this refrain in the entire dream of like, we need you is like repeated all the time. Multiple and, then, times. and then also he says like, I need you to Sokka and Katara. So there's a lot of like emotional entanglement and like fear that's coming up in this dream. And you can see he has a lot of guilt and he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. And like the dream opening, I think is just, it's such a well done way to explore Aang's psyche because he's a kid. Like he doesn't, have all the tools to express himself and like understand what he feels and he's not ready to anyway but he is definitely feeling it and we can see that in the dream yeah for sure and this is actually the first of three times in the series where ang has continuous nightmares um Mm -hmm. the second time is in the avatar state and then it's also in nightmares and daydreams which like absolutely makes sense um Mm -hmm. and also like just want to point out that the title of this episode is called The Storm. And there's like three different storms that's happening right now. There's the actual storm that's happening in the actual world of Avatar right now. But there's also like the storm of like Aang's stormy feelings of guilt and shame. And also mm-hmm. like Zuko's stormy history and just kind of learning about how he was vanished as and well. It's also interesting because throughout the episode, characters almost deny that there's a storm happening. Like everything, yeah. the sky looks so clear right? But Mm -hmm. there is something brewing underneath and only the people who are like almost empathetic or aware of this are able to see the storm before it overtakes everyone. 
Yeah, like we see that with Aang because of that nightmare. Like Katara just knows that he had a nightmare and she can tell that there's something wrong Mm -hmm. because she is so empathetic. And the only one that really knows about Zuko's past is Iroh, who's another very wise, emotionally intelligent character that can portray this um, to the rest of the people in the scenes. He's so so connected to everything. Like, I think through this rewatch, like something that's coming up for me is how much I like and appreciate Iroh as a character. I didn't, I always liked him, but I think like through this rewatch, I was like, what an amazing person, you know, (laughs) to be this adult in this, like Zuko's life and just have this like calming presence, like actually work on what's right and wrong. And he has such a strong moral compass, but he's never like, preachy or one-dimensional he's just such a great character he really is I love him you know in the next scene we see that it's Zuko and Iroh and Iroh wants to change course because of the weather he can smell that there's a storm actually coming so again showcasing his insight like he knows something's going to happen before it actually does and he mentions like we need to like get back to safety to save the crew Um, But Zuko is just so narrow-minded. He doesn't care if everyone gets hurt. He literally only cares about finding the Avatar. And another crew member hears that and is like, what is up with this guy? And it really sets us up in a great way because you know that the crew is starting to wonder, like, what's going on with Zuko? Why is he so angsty, Things like disrespectful, things like that? And it gives us a reason for Iroh to tell the crew about his past. It's also interesting because we have, we've, I think we've had conversations too about like, what does Zuko's crew think about him? And we yeah. kind of get to see like, what's the underbelly of the ship? Because there have been tussles in leadership too, because the crew doesn't know if they should listen to Iroh. And it's very clear that they do respect Iroh. Or do they listen to yeah. Zuko, who is the um, commander of the ship? Remember in like the second episode where we meet Zhao for the first time yeah, um, and the crew spills the beans that they're trying to find the avatar. They found him. Zuko let him go. Like, so that's another display of, you know, does the crew really trust Zuko? He's a banished prince. And if you think about it, he's like 15 or 16. Like these adult people are having to like get commands from a little kid. It's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting if you put it in that perspective too. Mm -hmm. And then we... We are like, again, we have that switch, right? The mirrored scene technique that we've seen in other episodes as well. And the gang is at the market. We learn that they're out of food and out of money. I'm like, how much money did they spend? You know, I was like, I would like to see a budget of this group because I feel like they should definitely have had a bunch from Boomy and definitely had a bunch from um, the Spirit World episode. Remember when Aang uh, did that big wave in the watermending scroll and he flushed all the uh, oh, supplies down the river? So oh, I'm sure, sure that, that took a burden on them. They really need to set up an emergency fund. <laughs> oh, put it, I, I mean, they need to put it in some like safe place. But so they're in the market and I like, like the scene because we get to see a little bit of how Sokka's mind works. And I feel like Sokka's an under, underrated character for sure. Oh, like, for sure. He really does try to be as much of his of a leader as he can. And, you know, we had, I was talking to my sister about this and we were talking about like whether Katara, you know, is an annoying character or something. I don't remember what exactly we were saying, but she read somewhere that Katara is the most emotionally mature character. And I was like, absolutely. She is the most um, emotionally mature, emotionally mature. But the reason that this person said, I don't remember what like Instagram or account it was on, but they were like, she's the most emotionally mature character because she only she doesn't really ever talk about her mom's death. 
but that's not she does and she always talks about it when she's flirting with guys <laughs> every, every guy is it my emotional trauma cute like maybe that's how people like flirt during wars what else are you gonna talk about maybe i mean i guess now we don't talk about the pandemic but i was like yeah <laughs> that's funny i also liked it the scene like just showcasing more of that life in the village shaking the watermelon to see if it's good like i do that does your yeah, mom do that with like melons but do white people do that like white people let us know if white <laughs> people do this i'm not sure if they do <laughs> You know what I mean? Tell if the fruit is good. Like you get the weight, you get the sound. It's a full five senses decision making over there. Yeah. And fun fact, like ancient times, long, long time ago, um, people would actually fill up watermelons with like water from rivers to make it seem like the watermelon was heavier than it seemed. Yeah. Scammers. Scammers. (laughs) Scamming. So we see this like this angry old couple on the dock. Like the the man is a fisherman. He's like, I'm going out there. I'm going to fish. His wife, who usually helps him on the boat, is like, I can feel it in my bones. It's gonna be a storm. I don't want to come out. And in a fit of rage, the fisherman guy is like, I'm gonna hire someone else. Sokka's big ears come in handy. He hears this and he's like, Okay, well you got to pay me double. That's what you said. So yeah, I'm I love that. I really liked um, these two characters. I like that we brought them in because they really help bring the story forward on like the Great Divide episode where at least this person gives Aang the trigger to think like, where have you been for a hundred years? Like and making him actually feel bad to actually go into this story. Mm -hmm. And they were also a lot of great comic relief. Even though this episode is a little more serious, we need it in the show. It's a Nickelodeon show. So I really like this couple a lot. He was really rude to Ango, but I think it's good that we we get to see that. But, you know, he is rude. I think it makes sense for him to be rude, though. Like, if you put yourself in his shoes, he's probably seen so many people die from this war. And you see this little kid who was supposed to save everything 100 years ago, but he's right in front of you. I think I'd give him a piece of my mind, too, if I was in the same situation as that guy. Yeah. Um, so now we see that the clouds are gathering and Zuko's like lieutenant, I believe his name is General Lee, just like snaps because Zuko goes up to him and is like, you gotta like listen to my demands. And he just, the lieutenant just snaps. He feels that like Zuko is just being like super disrespectful and calls him a spoiled prince. Um, and if you didn't know Zuko's context, I'd agree with the general that he does seem like a spoiled prince. Um. He's also like 16, like bossing people around. Like you gotta, it's gotta feel weird yeah, <laughs> being on a ship. And he's super angsty and like, and uh, like the General Lee or he does make a rude comment. I mean, he is like, he's kind of petty about it. He's like, oh, look, it's raining. Like, I guess we have to listen to your uncle. Like he does trigger him a bit, but at the same time, I can understand their frustration. And Iroh's right. Like they've been on this boat for god knows how long and like tensions are high and it's really frustrating i'm sure it's like they're they keep missing the avatar they've had so many bad situations like people are just done you know and so of course they want to fight like they almost get into a battle but fortunately iroh diffuses the tension right away i like that iroh is a great mediator i feel like he has the vibe of a middle child but he's actually Mm -hmm. the oldest child you know what i mean like that hierarchy and like that like mm-hmm. persona psychology of oldest child, middle child, youngest child. He has the vibe of a middle child, but he really is the oldest child we learn. I don't know. He's just so great in this. And he always trying to understand everyone's point of view. But he like 
Zuko, you know, storms out off and Iroh is like, you know, let him go, let him go. But back in the... And Zuko's just like mad because like he feels like he can't control his ship at all. You know what I mean? Like Iroh is the one that the people really listen to and Zuko's mad that he needs Iroh to kind of diffuse all the tension that's going on. And it makes you feel like, am I good at my job? <laughs> kind, of, kind of vibe. Yeah, but it's also like he's trying to be this big man and, you know, he feels like his uncle is undermining him, even though his uncle does have his best interest in heart. And also like, Zuko, as we later learned, has learned, has had so much trauma. I feel like his whole decision-making is clouded by his anger. Yeah, and Iroh knows that, but the rest of the crew doesn't. So mm-hmm. I think Iroh, at that point, recognizes, you know what, I need to let this crew know what has happened. This will relieve the tension from the ship, possibly. Yeah, so back in the marketplace... It's cool that Katara ends up defending um, Aang from the fisherman when the fisherman calls Aang out for disappearing and says that he's turned his back on the world and Mm -hmm. shows that he's just, you know, he doesn't really, he's so angry at the Avatar and he almost blames the Avatar for this war. And I really like this moment of Katara. Like He almost blames the Avatar for this war. I feel like he does blame the Avatar for this war. (laughs) Um, the thing that really caused a lot of guilt for Aang was when Katara said it's not his fault that he disappeared like you see him once she says that he backs away and decides to run away because in his heart he feels like it is his His fault fault. he disappeared which is really sad but of course Katara is going to defend Aang because hashtag Katang Katang. but you know (laughs) I actually really like this moment I think she was just really of course she was going to, but seeing it in action, I was like, damn, like, I'm proud of her. Yeah. But you also see, like, the disconnect from the older generation and the younger generation. Granted, like, Katara and her brother have seen a lot of war, but I'm sure that old man has also seen much more tragic things, or he's seen more tragic things just because he's been older, mm-hmm. too. Like, there might be that like correlation of like I've been through this war for like 50 years and it's not over and Katara has only experienced it for 14 years so yeah and Aang disappears and Katara follows on Appa and that just leaves Sokka with this fisherman I can't believe they just left him there like I know Katara was like in her like I gotta go to Sokka but like how did they why did they leave him with this guy like I just thought that was such a wrong move Stranger danger, but I think the only reason that it's okay is because he was deciding to do this job with him. You know what I mean? Like, if Sokka wasn't planning to work with this fisherman on a boat, like, I don't think Atara would have left him. Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, I was like, this is not worth doing the job. I was just like, it's kind of getting, you know, you can see the grayness, like, tensions are high, like, everybody go home. And as Iroh says, have a nice warm bowl of soup, have some tea. Like, tensions are high, like, we cannot do this right now like I can't take this on yeah but the thing is they don't have enough money for noodles or tea so he needs to work this job <laughs> um, so you know Katara finds Aang in a cave and Appa even comes into the cave to just comfort Aang and this is a big deal because Appa does not like being inside caves at all we'll see that in a future episode how much he hates it but it's really sweet that he does that Op is the best. Um, you know, he's just like a dog. Like he could sense when you're upset and 
could yeah. comfort you, things like that. So Angus upset and he says that the fisherman was right, like we discussed earlier. He reveals a memory about his past. And we actually go back and see a flashback of Ang when he was younger or you know, a hundred years younger, not actual months younger, where Aang is, you know, teaching his like classmates or his friends a new airbending technique, which is the airbending scooter. And they're all playing around and they're all having so much fun. Um, but then the monks call Aang in. I almost heard, you know, like when someone gets called in by the principal and <laughs> you're like, ooh, like they're all, on the re- they're all in recess. All the monks are playing and having fun. And you're like, oh my God, all these kids died. You know, like when you're rewatching it, you're like, all of them died. That's so sad. Like that song, All My Friends Are Dead. Yeah, that's all my friends exactly are dead. what it was. But I was like, that's oh God. really all, sad. When all the older monks call Angan, you know it's serious. And I was almost like, we need an ooh backtracking <laughs> sound right now. So yeah, the monks call Aang in and they mention to Aang that he picked these four relics, which means that Aang is actually the avatar. They revealed to him that he is the avatar and because he picked these four relics as his first toys. And this method is very similar to the one used in determining actually the next Dalai Lama in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, The Tibetan monks would present the suspected Dalai Lama with these like numerous objects. And if he chose that one toy or that one one object um, that belonged to him in a previous life, that would give the monks a sign that this would be the reincarnated Dalai Lama, which I thought was really interesting. It's like I love these true plays Mm -hmm. on true culture in real life. The monks also say that they're telling him now instead of when he's 16 because they sense that war is coming and they're afraid and they actually use the phrase the storm clouds are gathering and that yeah. relates back to the episode of the storm and they again refrain the the phrase that Ang heard in his dream which is like we need you we need yeah. you for this battle and this is just like the moment where Ang's life is totally turned around Um, This is when we see his destiny come about. Um, And it's a little crazy that, you know, he's 12 and he was supposed to learn about being the Avatar four years from now, but we know that a war is coming. So we jump back onto the ship and we see that the crew is just like, they're, they had a bad day at work. So, right, they're all, like, underneath yeah. the deck and they're drinking. Complaining about the boss. <laughs> yep, complaining about Zuko. And Iroh comes down. And at first they are like, oh, sorry, sorry, we didn't mean anything. And, like, we'll, we can leave. And Iroh is like, no, I, I want to explain why my nephew acts the way he does. Yeah, because, like, we discussed earlier, like, he knows there's tension. And he knows he needs to explain what his past is for them to, you know, work together and you know that uh Zuko doesn't have like the emotional capacity to really be that communicative with his crew (laughs) you know what I mean and I think this ties this theme of storytelling uh through the episode like Aang is narrating his own flashback but Iroh is narrating Zuko's flashback in this one so we learned that um when Zuko was younger he's a little boy he's like really excited about you know ruling this country one day ruling the fire nation and he's like i really want to get into the war chamber and learn what's going on and i can't get in and i was like okay I'll, I'll let you in but you cannot speak up yeah and um this is actually one of the, the few moments where we see zuko without his scar and it's just crazy seeing zuko in this flashback because he just looks so hopeful and happy and excited mm-hmm. and the zuko we know today 
the Zuko we're seeing in this episode and like present time is nothing like that character he was in his flashback. And it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking when you see that flashback yeah. and that, that opposition. And you see um, like how the events of like the, dis- well, we'll get into it, but the disappointment that he's felt has changed his personality. Like it, he's become this dark, sullen boy when he yeah. probably wasn't like that. Um, and we also see a different side of him, like this leadership side. So while they're in the war yeah. room, we hear one of the generals talk about the strategy to conquer the Earth Kingdom. And what the general wants to do is send the new recruits into battle to this like very, very strong um, army and let the new recruits die. And we'll get our more accomplished fighters to come in from the back and then take over the kingdom and the line he says is like what's better than fresh meat and like just hearing that you know how villainous and horrible the fire nation is because they're just calling their own people fresh meat to be killed gross no value for even the the lives of their citizens and zuko zuko hears that and like he sees himself as the future ruler and what is the ruler supposed to do but protect the citizens like you don't want fire nation young fire nation men to lose their lives like the point is to make sure your soldiers are protected as well so Zuko gets really like you know just he's taken aback by the statement the general says and he speaks up and by speaking up there are dire consequences for his actions yeah, it's like super sad, you know, something bad is going to happen. So we see that Aang explains that becoming the Avatar made him lose a lot of his friends. So we're going back to this flashback and we're seeing all of the people play the game with the scooter he invented. And his friends are like, listen, you're the Avatar, so it's not fair for you to be on anyone's team. And that really upsets him. As a 12-year-old, like that's got to be really hard to deal with. Um, that's probably why in this this custom of telling the avatar at 16 was displayed because if you're too young it's just um it might be a little too hard to take and mm-hmm. we see the consequences of those actions later in this episode he, and like because he has to be training all the time he's separated from his friends his routine is broken down and you yeah. you get to see that Gyatso that we met in the third episode really is like such a strong father figure in, in this episode. And he makes a yeah. point to like, Aang shouldn't be overwhelmed with this training. He's still a boy and he still needs to be connected to his childhood. Like there's a scene where he's like, oh, he's been training too much. Let's play a game. And mm-hmm. Gyatso has an understanding of how should this boy be raised. And we also yeah. see that a little bit with, I- not a little bit, but we also see that with Iroh. Definitely see that with Iroh. And I think it's cute. Like we see that Gyatso, even though, you know, a war is coming, Aang is super upset about being the Avatar. He's still able to like make him laugh and smile. Like he pushed, mm-hmm. he does some airbending to get his cape in the way so he could cheat in Pai Shou. And I just think that's something you really need from that father figure. You need someone to bring that light in when things could just seem like too much. And we also see adults who don't understand how to handle these children or how to actually be good role models or how to actually grow them into good, kind people. And yeah, so we see that, you know, another monk is yelling at Monkey Atso about like, why are you playing games with him? He needs to train, things like that. And you just know that like Yatsu's main mission is to make Aang happy, you know. 
teach Aang, things like that. But this other monk, like the other monks, like they're not there to make sure that Aang is happy. They're there to save the world in a sense. They're there to like prevent a war. So you kind of get why there is that tension when you take a step back and you're like, I know he's just a kid, but this kid needs to save the world. It's a crazy thing that Aang has to deal with. And we kind of see that pressure, like putting this pressure on children back in the Fire Nation flashback. So Iroh explains that because Zuko disrespected his elders by speaking up at the meeting, he was challenged to an Agnikai. And Zuko agrees to fight, but he thinks he's fighting the general who's a little bit older. And so he's like, okay, I can, I can take him. But he learns that because he spoke out in the Fire Lord's room, he's actually fighting Fire Lord, who is his own father. So he's actually yeah. in a duel with his dad. Yeah. And I love how in this scene, we see like, you know, he has a cape before the Agni Kai and the cape just like falls to the ground slowly while Iroh is explaining this. And I just really love that. It makes It's just such a symbolism of like Zuko losing his innocence because the next scene is where this Agni Kai happens that changes him forever. And it's just like losing that cape, I feel like showcases him mm-hmm. losing him old self, mm-hmm. uh, which I liked a lot. So the monks begin to argue about Aang's future in the next scene. So the elders decide to actually separate Aang from Monk Yatso and they decide to send Aang to another air temple to separate them so Aang can really just focus on becoming the avatar, completing his training, and saving the world. And we see that like Aang is actually kind of hiding and hearing this story, and he's just so mad. And him even explaining it, he's, he gets into the avatar state for a second. Did you see that? Where yeah. he, Katara's like, embers, embers, you know? <laughs> Which I thought was interesting. Because, like, it's he's being taken away from his home. Like, he's being taken away from everyone he he loves. Like, as a child, like, it's basically like you're being taken away from your parents and your family and your siblings and just moved somewhere else. And that is completely traumatic. That's actually in the episode I watched, Psychology in Seattle, where... Because she moves from the Czech Republic to America to go, moving kids is traumatic, so... It's like, oh my god, so I can understand why he's he's so upset. Yeah, it's like maybe they should have taken the time. Okay, you're the avatar, you need to complete your training. We want to eventually, you know, move you to another air temple so you can concentrate on this. It's yeah. just like too much for a 12-year-old to handle. Maybe if he was older, he could handle it, but at his age, he doesn't have uh, the mental capacity to really And he um, also knew that, do that. They only yeah. wanted to move him to separate him from his father figure you know yeah. like and that's not distracting that's actually would strengthen him and focus him and make him a stronger avatar but they didn't get that yeah it's like each person in situations like that reacts very differently like sometimes you need someone to be like really cold and like be like this is what you have mm-hmm. to do do it now but like we see that that's not ang's learning style and i think we even talk about ang's learning style in a future episode, probably in season two, that like Aang is the kind of person that needs good encouragement, like don't be too mean to him. He's very sensitive, things mm-hmm. like that. So this is like just not the way you should handle it, especially when it's the avatar. You have to learn how the avatar is and teach him that way. Mm-hmm. Like this is a private session right here. Yeah. <laughs> so when Aang learned all of this, um, you know, that's when Aang decides it's time to leave. He's going to run away. We see that Gyatso looks for Aang that night, but he only discovers a note. 
And it was actually a storm the night Aang ran away. And when Gyatso opens the door, too, he's like, I'm not going to let them take you from me, you know? And that kind of makes me sad. If he just stayed, maybe he didn't have to run away. You know what I mean? And it's just like everyone knows how strong their connection is, even though we never see Monk Gyatso in the present light, you know? So heartbreaking. I wish he just went to Monk uh, Monk Gyatso and it's like, I heard what was said instead of running away. True communication issues, how every story in Shakespeare and in most stories are told. Um, so we know that Aang, you know, leaves that night. And when he's leaving on Appa, it's, there's a storm. And the storm makes them, you know, crash into the water. And he goes into the Avatar state to protect himself. And the next thing he knows, he's seeing, like, Katara wake him up. And it's been 100 years. And Katara actually said that, you know, I know that you're really sad right now. But that's how it was meant to be. Because if you stayed, you could have died. They killed every airbender. And Katara tells him that, you know, I know you're upset, but you give people hope and the world needs you right now. So that's what's most important for him to know. And I just thought, you know, Katara is such a great friend and she's so empathetic and such a great listener. And Aang is really lucky to have her and Mm -hmm. Sokka, especially Katara, because she is so understanding and really helps him get through this and pushes him to really talk about it. And I think you know? it's true, right? Like, it is part of his destiny. Like, it's unfortunate that this war had to happen. But in a way, in this world, it maybe needed to happen until Aang was ready. Or until he could find Sokka and Katara to help him on this journey. Yeah, You know, she's looking at it in this really spiritual way. And I think it shows um, Katara's connection to her own power. And how the universe works in the in the show. So I think she's just really tied to that I think that was a really wise thing to say and it does make Aang feel better yeah and also like the way Katara decides to approach this story is the only way you can think about it you can't dwell on the past you can't say what if Mm -hmm. because right now he needs to be present and realize that he needs to still defeat the fire lord and thinking about the past isn't going to help him in the future so. Mm-hmm. And that ties like together a lot of themes in this show. So we move back to Zuko and this scene just it's so heartbreaking because once Zuko realizes that he's fighting his father, he begs for mercy. He apologizes. He says he didn't mean to upset or disrespect his father. And he says that he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to do this. And yeah. it's just so sad. It's so sad. Yeah. However, you know, his dad is abusive. We don't really see a lot of the Fire Lord. So actually, fun fact, the Fire Lord, you know, we're only seeing him in the shadows. The Fire Lord's face is not revealed until season three. Isn't wow. that wild? Yeah. So crazy. And also, guess who voiced Lord Ozai? I know this. The guy who played Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Mark Hamill from Star Wars. Yeah. Which is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> So during the scene where Zuko is facing his father in the Agni Kai, the voice actor Zuko... Dante Bosco um, works directly with Mark Hamill and related that scene to those in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is actually facing off Darth Vader, his father. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually Dante Bosco's favorite episode, just because it really dives into Zuko's background, which helped him in his acting. So, Mm -hmm. but we see that, as you said, Zugo's dad is very abusive and he said you will learn respect and suffering will be your teacher which is like a very powerful line but you know we see 
Zuko look up and he's crying. And this is the first time we ever see Zuko cry. And it's very rare for us to see Zuko cry. And when Zuko actually gets hit, like we know he gets hit, it's not showcased at all because Iroh's the one telling this story. And Iroh says, you know, I had to look away when Zuko got hit. So we see a scene of Iroh looking away. And right next to him is actually Azula, his sister. And that's the first time we see Azula in the entire series. It's also like we were talking about teaching and teaching styles. Like this is not a way to teach respect. <laughs> yeah. And it's like an Agni Kai, like one, like you're hitting your child. That's horrible. But two, you're like displaying it in front of all these people. Like how horrible is that? Oh my God. It's, it's- so devastating and I think you see that like he's obviously living in a very tense abusive home and he that's why he's so within himself and like his yeah. anger issues comes from this he's holding so much in and I think Iroh explaining this is extremely helpful for the audience as well as the crew yeah and it's like you can't if Zuko was the one telling this story like it wouldn't be believable it's just not in Zuko's character to be forthcoming with his emotions and things like that like that's Iroh I don't think he would be able to relive it by telling the story yeah like he's not even at the point in his healing to actually just say what happened like he's so angry and he's so consumed by anger he just wouldn't be able to do it like he would just like storm off or, yeah, like, he's just not at that place. So we needed Iroh yeah. to tell the story. While Aang is definitely had time to think about think about this and deal with this. And he's had support from his friends. Like, he actually yeah. had felt comfortable and not abandoned for a little while. Like I just feel like his trauma is so much different than Zuko, though, in that sense. Because he was forced to be abandoned, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like... Monkey Yatso, he knew how much Monkey Yatso loved him. And from that love, gave him the ability to express himself and be emotional and talk to other people. Where Zuko, he kind of got that from Iroh. Definitely has it afterwards. But before then, like, he had this abusive father that forced him to, like, just go inward and not talk about his feelings or emotions. I'm sure that household was not all about, like, talking about your emotions I'm going to learn more about that household. There are some mad issues there. Yeah. After the duel, like, we know that Zuko's dad is super angry. And because Zuko decides not to fight his father, who, you know, he's looking for so much approval from, he banishes his son and sends him to find the Avatar. And the Avatar is the only way he can really return his honor. And you see the crew, like, they're all standing around, like, just just listening to Iroh. And that's when the crew really understands why Zuko is after the Avatar. It's like, he's looking just for some normalcy. That's what they say. But Iroh actually says... Things will never go back to normal. But the Avatar gives Zuko hope, which mirrors what Katara says to Aang, like, you give people hope. Good people and bad people. (laughs) I love how those two scenes played together and both of those scenes ending with hope. And like, and the motivation for the character, it's just, it's so well done. And we actually have that one last scene where we see Zuko in a flashback with his cleaved face. And then switches again and it goes back to him with this scar which is just just really powerful just showcasing like you know how much he's changed from that little boy we saw a couple of minutes earlier so hopeful and happy and without a scar talking to Ira before going into that war room and how his entire life changed afterwards and it's hard to live in the present or in, in Zuko's case he's like always going to the past or always thinking yeah. of the future when he catches the avatar and it's hard to be in the present but like he looks at his past every time he looks in the mirror like it's so hard for him to heal because it's just like 
he sees that memory of himself and you just see yeah. how uh, Zuko carries himself. I like, I really like Zuko's animation throughout the series and how you can see his features soften. Yeah. Zuko is just powering all his energy, all his emotional damage into finding the avatar. I think because of that, that's why he's so angsty. That's why he wants to find the avatar. It's because he's not dealing with his, the trauma that he's mm-hmm. had in his life. He's not. So he needs, that's, he's like looking ahead to that. Yeah. So we see the old woman appear in the entrance of the cave. We're back to Aang and Katara. And she says that her husband and Sokka haven't returned, even though there's a storm outside. And that storm is actually turning into a typhoon. How did she find them in the cave? Like they flew to that cave. I think she probably was searching for a long time. And Appa was actually outside at that point. So maybe she saw Appa and came inside. True. Um, The old lady. She's kind of (laughs) funny. Aang and Katara are like, okay, we're going to go find Sokka and find the fishermen. So they leave. And then we're back onto the ship and the lightning bolt actually hit the helm of the ship and the helmsman is dangling off. So Zuko is like climbing up the ladder trying to save him. Like he's come out of his stupor of anger and another lightning bolt is almost about to hit the ship. But Iroh does some amazing bending with the lightning. Yeah, he he's able to redirect the lightning that comes toward him and shoot it out. And this is a technique that Iroh actually created, which is just redirecting lightning. This is the first time we see Iroh do it. And it's a skill he was the first of his kind to actually develop it by studying waterbenders. Um, and then while this is all happening on Zuko's ship, we actually see that Appa is flying through this storm and he's flying through a wave and then Appa, Aang, and, you know, Katara see the fisherman in Sokka and they're, like, ready to save him, fortunately. And Zuko actually sees the Avatar too, but really, they're in a typhoon, the waves are crazy and he takes a moment to realize, like, do I want to go after Aang? But then he's like, okay, it's way more important to take the ship and save the ship. And you can see that like he's changed his mind, like he's come into his senses because all this time yeah. he knows it's more important to protect his soldiers. Yeah, and he's he's done that before in in uh, the Winter Solstice episode where he has the option to either save Uncle Iroh or go after the Avatar. He chooses Uncle Iroh. So we know that this is a decision he's made in the past and it just also showcases that, you know, at the end of the day, Zuko is a good person. He is trying his best. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still like kind of the villain of season one, but you know, he's trying his best. Yeah. And Iroh says that, okay, the way that we can get into safety is take the boat directly into the eye of the storm. Yeah. Um, And then Aang saves, you know, Sokka, the fisherman, but there's this huge tidal wave and they get actually caught in it. But Aang is able to get into the Avatar state to kind of save everyone. Gotta love that good old Avatar state, right? Every time you think that they're going to die, like they're literally drowning. And of course, like, yeah, gotta thank all of the past Avatars for looking at it. I know. But I think also, like, we see a shot of Aang actually seeing um everyone drowning too and he's like i can't let any more people down you know and that brings him into the avatar state to really save everyone he's becoming stronger i think i think he's finding his motivation and his connection to becoming the avatar yeah for sure so once uh you know the storm is starting to clear up and zuko actually apologizes to iroh which shows that he is maturing as well yeah, it would have been another story if Zuko apologized to that general he was almost going to fight. That will never baby, happen. He's going to... Baby steps. <laughs> 100% baby steps. Um, we actually then see Aang 
on Appa, you know, flying out of the ocean. And Zuko and Aang actually make eye contact That's- as Aang flies on Appa, which is like just kind of foreshadowing the rest of the, seer- the season. It's iconic almost. <laughs> iconic, but like a very familiar shot of Egg looking back, running away from Zuko as Zuko looks on, trying to figure out how he's going to get him. <laughs> Misconnections. While on Appa, we close out the episode with Aang learning the lesson that he needs to because he says that he's done living in the past and he's here now and he's ready to make the most of it. Yeah, which I loved. Um, and I think just Aang talking through what he's been through because, like, think about it. Like, he hasn't talked to anyone about this story because he went straight into the iceberg and then, you know, he met Katara and Sokka. He hasn't talked about this at all. It just actually saying it out loud has helped him so much. He's been dealing with so much. Like, oh, yeah, I feel bad. Yeah. Um, was there a story you were more drawn to? Were you more drawn to Zuko's story or Aang's story? I like them both. I think, you know, they're different problems, but they do tie with so many themes of like childhood trauma, dealing with like a male parental figure, whether it's like a father or like a caretaker, and just this feeling of being abandoned. So Zuko and Aang are just tied together because they have both experienced this abandonment as children. Um, and I think it, it really like makes them perfect foils for each other, even yeah. though they have it in different ways. And also forgiveness is something that's like a huge thing with both of their characters. Um, And we don't really see Zuko get there as much, but they need to forgive themselves for their actions that have happened. Like they weren't to blame. And we know that as viewers, but part of their journey as characters is to understand that and forgive themselves. Um, I think I was actually more drawn to Zuko's story when I rewatched it, just because I think it's more prevalent. um, Zuko's anger, Zuko's scar, and Zuko's like entire persona, right? And this story really describes everything about Zuko that we need to know right up front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we understand Aang's character and we don't, we we do have that question, like, why has it been a hundred years? How did you end up in that iceberg? But it doesn't showcase that much of his overall character. It's not, but it shows what connects them. Zuko story, we learn about Zuko. Aang's story, we learn how Aang and Zuko intersect even more. But I really love this episode. The writing is beautiful. It's so moving. Like, there's so many scenes that are just like eye connection, you know, between Zuko yeah. and Aang, like Iroh looking away as his brother burns his nephew, like like Zuko begging for forgiveness. There's just so many really moving scenes in this in this episode. Yeah. The music's really great too. Like mm-hmm. the music's great in every episode, but I think the music throughout the I don't have like a certain scene where I remember it, but I just remember you're just feeling so many of these emotions because the music is really heightening it. So I really love that as well. Great. Yeah, I give this episode a five out of five. Me too. Ah, man, why were there so many filler episodes? I feel like revitalized with this one. Like, I think it's because you need to just pace the entire series, right? Like you can't have this many, especially for kids. Like that's overload for kids. You need certain episodes to be fillers because you need people to really appreciate those great episodes like the storm, you know, like the Mm -hmm. winter solstice. Like the the important themes they're trying to portray won't really stand out, mm-hmm. I guess. Great episode. Super fun. Five out of five. Five out, five out of five for sure. I'll chat with you next week. Chat with you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.